Let's pray one more prayer. Father, we pray, Father, I don't want to forget Diana's, uh, told me that, Father, her little, uh, her girl, Father, her daughter with breast cancer, we pray, Father, that uh, she'd be healed. We pray, Father, uh, for Don and Linda's uh, son, Brian, Father, that you continue to heal him and draw him close to you. We pray for Don and Linda that you would comfort them after his accident and that uh, you just draw them close to you. We thank you so much for them and that you've drawn them close to you to know you and love you. And we just pray for all of our brothers and sisters, anybody who's going through any kind of trial or hardship, that you'd be with them, that you strengthen them, that you glorify yourself through them. And we pray that as we get into your word, that your word would get into us, Father, that we bow our hearts before you, that we grow to become more Christ-like and be all that you've called us to be to your eternal glory. We pray this in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, Matthew 7, I'm, I'm going to preach in a text today that's just been on my heart lately. Especially crazy things going on right now, right? Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff coming up as well. According to the scripture, the word of God tells us that. All you have to do is read the prophetic scriptures and see how dark it's getting in our world. And it looks like it's going to get darker uh, because of things going on. But we have a sure foundation in the Lord, amen? And those of us who belong to the Lord, uh, we have security in him, amen? Neither height nor depth or principality or power any other creative thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? So if you are in Christ Jesus, you're secure in him. And uh, Jesus said the Father, that we're in his hands, and, and that no one can snatch us out of his hands. Amen? That he's greater than all. So if you're trusting Jesus, and those promises are for those who are trusting Christ, not for those who are apostate. But if you're trusting Jesus, we have these wonderful, beautiful promises. So whatever's going on in the world, uh, and the world's going to be shaken up more and more, we need to keep in mind that we're secure in Christ, amen? That he is our peace. He is our foundation, amen? So I want to talk about building your house, building a house that stands. Building a house that stands. And Psalm 127.1, the psalmist says, Except the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchmen watch in vain, amen? So it's imperative that the Lord builds our house, Amen? And that we follow his blueprints and that we build our house on the rock as Jesus instructed. Amen. Uh, otherwise, we're building in vain. Our lives are just in vain. It's just a matter of time before our homes, our houses collapse. And you know what? I, I love the fact that the Lord gives us choices, you know. Uh, and I love the fact that his test is not super complicated. It's quite easy to make the decision. It's not like a thousand different answers and one of them is right and you've got to get that right answer. It's not even multiple choice. I loved, when I was growing up as a kid, I loved a multiple choice test. Because don't be like I was when I was really young, you guys, because if you're a youngster here, because I didn't study, I didn't read, I just wanted to go out and have fun and play all the time when I was a little kid. And then when I got a little bit older, smoked my first joint in the fourth grade, uh, then it was party time and it was then totally lost. You know, and my family, they know how I was, and we were pretty much all like that, every one of us. My mom was the worst stoner of all. No, she wasn't. She wasn't like that. Grand, Grandma uh, Schimmel never did anything like that. But the kids, we were pretty much messed up to one degree or another before Jesus. And now you know my family. We've all come to Christ, and everyone serves here. My dad just went to be with the Lord last year. But I'll tell you what. 
I loved it when it was a multiple choice test. You know why? Because if I wasn't studying, wasn't paying attention, wasn't doing homework, also it was test time, I just have to like write in the answers if it was like, you know, and if I didn't know the answer, if I saw multiple choice tests, I'm like, good, at least I got like a one in four chance maybe getting some of these things right, you know? But you know what? You don't want to go, you don't live life that way either. It's like Russian roulette and you're going to lose. Praise God. God just gives us follow him or not. Trust him or not. There's only two choices. He makes it really easy. And he tells us which choice to take. Amen. He tells us what the answer is. Amen. And in, in Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said, choose for yourselves today. Choose. It's a choice. Whom you will serve. At the end of that same verse, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal or Baal is God, follow him. You have a choice. Follow the Lord or not. Jesus said you can't serve both God and man. You either love the one, hate the other. You hate the one, love the other. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. You know, the Bible says you can't eat at the table of the Lord and the table of the devils. Jesus said he that's not with me is against me. Amen. There's so many scriptures like this. Uh, and it makes it, Jesus makes it very, very clear uh, that we ought to follow him. And in Matthew chapter 7, you see a lot of these two different paths kind of deal. These two different ways, these two different, in fact, you see two different gates in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So it's very, very clear. There's a broad road leads to destruction, and Jesus goes on to talk about there's these false prophets, you know, and they're standing in front of the broad road saying, hey, take this road. Take the broad road. It's easy. It's, it's simple. You're, and guess what? The broad road offers you. I mean, you can just wander around. You get lost. Do whatever you want. But it ends in destruction. It ends with a cliff that, that falls down the lake of fire. But the narrow road, Jesus said, leads to life, and few are on it. So there's two types. There's two different gates. There's two different roads. There's two types of trees. And you continue to follow what Jesus says here. Pick up the very next verse, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from the thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Jesus told the religious leaders of his time, or John the Baptist, I should say, when they're coming out to be baptized, uh, the Pharisees came to kind of check out the spectacle in their minds. And John the Baptist said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he further declared to them to bring forth fruit in keeping repent and with repentance. Fruit. Because he said the ax is already laid to the root of the tree and the tree will be cut down and thrown in the fire and burned. That's serious stuff, guys. Real serious stuff. And so there's two trees. There's also two different wills. You pick it up at the very next verse. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. 
there are those who do the will of the Lord, and there are those who do their own will. So you see these two gates, you see these two roads, you see these two different types of trees, you see people with two different wills. Ultimately, there's people that say, your will be done, and there's people that say, my will be done. Which one are you? Which gate have you gone through? Which road are you on? Are you a tree that is bearing fruit because you're living for the Lord's glory? And what is your will to do his will? Or are you workers of lawlessness? You have to ask yourself that question and they say, okay, what path am I on? That brings us to two different houses, two different people, a wise man and a foolish man that build on two different foundations. And the great difference here isn't the houses. It's the foundations. So let's pick it up at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And its fall or its collapse was great. So you have to build a house. We're all building a house. We're either building a house on the rock or building a house in the sand. This is everybody. And this, these passages are so important. Why? Because Jesus is speaking to a community of people that are very religious. He's speaking to his disciples specifically, but the crowds had a mass. So the crowds are there. So some words are addressed to the people in general. Some are addressed specifically, for instance, when he tells his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6 to those who have a relationship with the Father. And uh, he's warning that you could be in the wrong camp, even though you're religious. Because he said, there'll be false prophets. Prophets speak of spirituality and instruction. And there'll be many who say, Lord, Lord. Amen? And they'll think they have a relationship with God, but they don't. And he makes it clear. You don't have to miss this. You don't have to misunderstand on Judgment Day and say, I can't believe I missed it. A lot of people are because he said many will come to me that day saying, Lord, Lord. The difference is, is Jesus said they did not do the will of the Father, but they were workers of lawlessness. They did their own thing. They claimed to be believers, but they followed their own wills. They were filled. The Bible says the backslider in Jeremiah is filled with his own ways. And you can be backslidden and not right with God, but going to church. Amen? Going, taking your car to a garage, you know, doesn't, you go to, you go to a garage doesn't mean your car. You can go to a donut shop, right? Doesn't mean you're a police officer. Amen? You know? So it doesn't matter where you go. It means who you are in your heart. Amen? Whether you're following the Lord or not. So it's important that we get this. You know, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago or so, maybe about 20 or so, Brian Bean came up to me after service one time. And every once in a while, Brian will give me like a Christian magazine or a, a newspaper article or a newspaper to highlight certain things. It's been a real blessing, Brian, through the years. Appreciate that. And he gave me this magazine article, or magazine, and I stumbled through it, and there was an article called Church, I think it was called Church Health, not Church Growth, you know. And, uh, and as we got to read the article, I thought, oh, I'll read this, check it out. And uh, it was basically a pastor who was confessing his sin of 
ambition of just wanting a big church for the sake of numbers, thinking that that was what it was about. And he moved to the Midwest, and he started a church, and he wanted to have the biggest church in town within a year. And there are churches that were there over 100 years. And there were churches just about on every corner. And I'm going the best I can from memory. And he talked about how in a year, he had the biggest church in town. But it was very grievous, he said, because what had happened is it wasn't like they won a bunch of souls. People came to Christ. There was transfer growth. People from other churches because it was a hip place in town to go to church. And they would bring in all these contemporary Christian artists that were very popular, you know, and, and all of a sudden people were there for the entertainment. And all of a sudden all kinds of people, it was buzzing, this is the hip place in town to go now. And it was like really, you know, short messages and so forth. And he said it became carnal, that there was infighting, there was flesh. It was just, it was, he described it as kind of like a really disgusting scene because there was just so much carnality in that church because you didn't have a lot of God-fearing, Jesus-loving people there. You had a lot of people that were, he said, were walking in the flesh, or he described as walking in the flesh was a net effect. And then I think after a year, just over a year, he quit as a pastor, and he wrote a, 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 that article, Church Health, Not Church Growth, you know, about sticking to God's Word and being true to Jesus and so forth. And I appreciated where he was at, you know. And I remember after that, I didn't want to be smug. I didn't want to think, oh, you know, how could you do that? I thought, well, he's burying his heart right there. And I said just a prayer. Lord, help our fellowship never to become like that, you know, never to do anything like that. And that, by the grace of God, has never entered into our heart or our, 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 our anything we've decided. Like, we want to grow for the sake of just growing. We've always been about, hey, I've told you for years, if only two or three people come, <laughs> and it's because we're preaching the truth, so be it. Amen. Because we are, honestly, we serve an audience of one. Amen. We serve the Lord. Amen. And that's what we've been about. But I still prayed that prayer. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? So I said, Lord, make sure our fellowship never does that. Never. Because there'll be churches, I'm sorry, it's true. They're like, I mean, there's boards. Pastor, you're not really allowed. Don't, we don't want you to talk about hell. You know? And don't emphasize sin. Okay? Because after... After all, this person over here and this person over here, they, they fell into adultery and they're good tithers. Or, and they might not say it like that, but that's what happens. They don't want to scare people off, you know. And it's like, no, we got it. We're, the, we're not the church of Joe Schimmel. We're the church of Jesus Christ, amen. And we want to follow his word. And we come to be real with the Lord, amen, and have him deal with us and, and, and be sincere before him. Otherwise, our, 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 our faith is in vain. And there's real beauty in, and joy in uh, that reality of, of just knowing the Lord and making him known. But it's interesting, after I prayed that prayer, I went to bed that night and I had a crazy dream, in a good way, I mean. And it was one of those vivid, vivid dreams that you wake up to and you're like startled by. I was like, whoa. And in that dream, I've shared this before, but I was uh, preaching, you know? And I was preaching and there was a, a lot of people on like a hillside you know, like a men's retreat, but it, was, but it wasn't just men. It was like families and what have you. And I'm preaching the word and in my dream. And uh, sometimes I've had preaching dreams, but they're usually, you know, maybe out of like anxiety or whatever, Sunday morning. And I'm like, where's my notes? You know, and, and, and I can't find them. And, and the service is starting. And, and then I wake up, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of dream. 
it was a dream where it was like a very encouraging dream. And in my dream, uh, I was preaching the word, but there was like a box over here that I had to get to because I was sharing, but people weren't really hearing. I wasn't really connecting with them. And I had to go to this box, and the box was not visible. It was like in my dream, I knew it was there, but I couldn't see anything, but I knew there was like a, a box, like yay big. So I went over there and I started preaching and sharing. And I was sharing uh, from this text, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, about building your life on the rock and not building your life on the sand and how important it is to build your life on the rock. And as I'm preaching that, and I moved over and I start preaching that, my voice was amplified and I was reaching this big group of people, but guess what happened? <laughs> people just started getting up and leaving. Not everybody, but enough to become very noticeable. I mean, it was not like 2%. It was like 20%, I don't know, 30 I don't know what. Just too many people. Like, whoa, they're leaving. And as I'm preaching, I'm preaching Matthew 7. And, but in my dream, and it's, like, it's not like I control what I'm going to do in this dream, right? It's just happening. But I'm continuing to preach Matthew chapter 7. You've got to build your life on the rock. And I was discouraged in my heart. I was like, these are the words of Jesus. They're leaving because of Jesus' words, and they're so precious. And so they can have life. And I'm like, we need to, and as I'm sharing that, and I continue to share that, they continue to leave. And then the last couple, two kind of just fade into the darkness, you know. And then there's still this group there, which is still a pretty cool group. Uh, and all of a sudden I'm hearing, I hear this, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, here and there in the group. And I was like, oh, praise God, man. It was after everybody left that people were able to praise God and feel free to praise God. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. But I keep sharing. And then all of a sudden, everybody starts lighting up like in different places, like fluorescent lights. Just little fluorescent lights all over. Like, but it was beautiful. And then I woke up. And it was just such an interesting dream. And I thought, wow, Lord, that's weird because I read that article yesterday. And I prayed and sought you. And I know that people will not stay if you preach the word. I know that's true. So what are you teaching me through this? If this is from you, what is going on? And... I thought, I know, because Jesus would sift the multitudes. We talk about it. He'd preach his word. Then he'd give them a hard saying sometimes. And like one place says, many followed him no, lo no more. You see that throughout the scripture. John 6, chapter 6, verse 66. Many followed him no more. Uh, Peter, will you two go away? Where will I go? You have the words of eternal life, he says to Jesus. And other places where Jesus would preach. And then by the time you get to his death and his burial and his cruci you know, crucifixion and resurrection, and then you go to Acts chapter, chapter 2, how many people do you see there? 120 in the upper room. wasn't like there were droves of people. He healed so many and so forth. But he wanted true, genuine disciples. But the more I thought about it, as I began to ponder it, I thought, it wasn't about the people leaving. That's part of what happens when you preach the word. Amen? Just go through the scripture. You're gonna, you know. But it was when people had left, it freed up those that were there to genuinely seek the Lord and just praise him. And also, I think the people lighting up, it just shows how the Word of God just fills you and gets you excited about the Lord and changes us and makes us more Christ-like and more, more, more lights that we're called to be in this dark world. Amen? So I was, I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And I know that we're sanctified through the Word, the Scriptures say, amen, and that God's at work. So it was just a very, very encouraging dream. I didn't think about this. I would, I would describe the dream. I've described it a few times, but never really thought about that. And somebody came to me afterwards sometime and they heard about that they heard that dream they go and I guess they got ministered to through our ministry uh, videos and so forth and they were like 
don't you realize how many people you guys are touching? You know, and we've got millions of people watch our videos just, you know, on, on YouTube and what have you. Uh, several, million saw the, several million saw the Beyonce video, which has the gospel in it, uh, or the Super Bowl video. Uh, and right now, I mean, I don't know, what word do we worldwide chat and podcast recently? 66. We got to lower it. We don't like that number, but no. No, 66 books of the Bible. We're cool. But uh, we were in the 70s. Now we moved to 66. I don't know where we'll be this month. That's worldwide for uh, 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 religious, not just Christian. It could be Muslim. could be New Age, whatever, podcast. So we're moving up in that. By the grace of God, uh, a lot of people are, uh, are getting fed. And we thank you guys for the prayers and the support because this is true biblical Bible, Word of God being preached, and we're able to reach a lot of people. So it's interesting, uh, but through the Word that goes out, you know, it will attract people typically that love truth and want to dive in the Word and really want to be challenged and, and want to grow. And, uh, and even our podcast is just filled with Scripture. We get so many people that write in saying, wow, I've never been in the Word of God like I am now. Well, I've been challenged to get into the, the Word of God. Chad just read one of those recently. And that's what it's about is getting to know Him and, and, and getting into His Word and, and really knowing Jesus. He said, I'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, to these false prophets. And it's not enough, as I said, to just go to church. You must make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you are seeking him. If you're a young person here today, we love you. We praise God you're here. But you're, you cannot get to heaven based on holding on to your parents' coattails, okay? You have to make sure that you have a relationship with the Lord. You have to make sure that you're praying and that you're trusting that what Jesus did for you on the cross. And the Bible uses that word epinosis, which is, we, that word gnosis means to know or knowledge, but the word epinosis is experiential knowledge. And he wants us to have experiential knowledge, uh, 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 knowing Jesus. Jesus said, this is eternal life, John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they might know thee, speaking of the Father, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You must make sure you know the Lord that you have a relationship with him. And if you haven't started that relationship, you can know that since Jesus died for you, paid for your sins on the cross, he paved the way, he made the way, he is the way, the truth, the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but through me. You get to go to the Father and have a relationship with Jesus, uh, with the Father through Jesus, and a relationship with Christ. And it's just, a, that, that relationship's a prayer away. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. So if you're a younger person, older person, however old you are, make sure you're in your heart. You've confessed your sins and you've turned to Jesus and received forgiveness of your sins. Amen? He loves you. and He wants you to have a relationship with him. That's a beautiful, beautiful reality. So it's amazing here because he talks about these two different foundations and that we must build our lives on the rock. Now notice what's happening here. There's two types of builders here on two types of foundations, a wise man and a foolish man. But notice they both hear the same instructions. They both hear the word of Christ. Verse 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. According to the words of Christ, how is it that you build a house that stands? You build it on what? The rock. What's the rock? Come on, it's right there in the text, verse 24. What's the rock? Christ 
words, amen? And how you build on Christ's words is obedience to his words. It's not just knowing his words, it's obeying his words. That's why he says to them earlier in the text in his warning, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but he'll say what? I never knew you. Why? Because they didn't do the will of the Father. The words I speak are the words given to me, Jesus says, by the Father. But they were workers of lawlessness. They did their own thing. You see? So doing his will, that's the emphasis here, and, and putting his words into practice. What words? The words he just said. Words he gave the whole Sermon on the Mount. Letting the word of Christ fill you. Just what we read earlier. Taking the narrow path. Amen? The narrow gate. Amen? And the narrow path that leads to life. And building your house on the words of Christ. So what does it mean to build your life or build your house on the rock? It means to obey the words of Christ. Paul said, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so forth. We're supposed to let the word of Christ fill us richly. Amen? And Paul talked about false teachers in 1 Timothy chapter 6 or chapter 5 who do not hold to the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be very, I mean, are you memorizing, are you, are you reading Christ's words? Are you applying them to your, your life? It's important. Even memorizing his words, I think, can be very, very important to help us grow in him, you know. I've hid your word in my heart so I will not sin against you, the psalmist says. How can a young man keep his way? But by keeping it according to thy word. Amen. Young men, you have overcome the evil one because the word of God dwells in you. Amen. It's important that we have the word of God dwelling in us. Now, it's not as though this guy was so dumb that he said, hey, I'd love to live on the beach. I'm going to build my house on the sand right by these waves and just built his hand, house on the sand. No, it's not how, it, it, it was a little bit more complicated than that. Because in Israel in those days, it was a known thing, even today. You could have ground that looks solid. And before the rains and the storms come in certain areas, it looks just like solid ground with rock under it. And both two men could build houses that look like they're building on the same ground, but one could have no rock under it. And then the flash floods come and sweep that house away. But the wise man, instead of just saying, ha, ha, I'm just going to build my house. That's how the world is. Oh, I'm just going to do this. Oh, I'm just going to do that. You know, they just, the wise guy who was wise about things, he was deeper. He wanted to penetrate the dirt and make sure there was rock foundation in the dirt so he could build his house on the rock. How do you know that, Joe? Because Jesus said as much in Luke chapter 6, verse 48. He says, uh, same, same teaching, but Jesus gives a little more insight into it. He talks about the, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. You see that, guys, is he dug down and built into the rock. Every house that you, that you guys live in physically, hopefully, has a rock foundation, right? They pour the concrete. They make a rock if there's not a rock that they can build into. I used to see a lot of expensive homes, you know, that I would work at. I used to... One of the jobs I had, many jobs growing up, and one of the jobs I had was a, literally digging ditches, you know, digging holes deep into the ground with jackhammers, I mean, way up to where sometimes over 20 feet deep, you know, 
and uh, he'd have to shimmy up. He'd be all messed up and dirty and stuff. I love that job, though, because I could memorize so much scripture with that job because I didn't have to think much, you know. It's a great job. You'd get out. You'd take your break as your buddy because in one job, you'd have to, like, trade. If you had, you'd have a couple different holes. My brother Tom worked with me on that job for a while. And uh, when one hole got too deep, the other guy would leave his hole, and he'd bring up the dirt from the bucket and stuff, and you'd go deeper and deeper. And, and, uh, but when it was your, the other guy's time to dig, you could sit up there, and you'd have to take up the bucket. But, man, you could just feel the breeze, seek the Lord. You know, there's always, whatever job you have, try to find the good in it, man. I still, I, I look back at that job. When I was tile setter, man, it's like put a puzzle together, right? You know, John, how it is, right? Kenny, if you're listening to my live stream, we miss you in Idaho, uh, other tile setters. Is, but you can't memorize scriptures easy because you're constantly, I'm racing against the clock, you know, trying to beat the journeymen and catch up to them because I was newer for a while. And, uh, but you couldn't memorize as much scripture. So there's, there's good, good and bad. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to uh, building your life on the rock, every one of us has an opportunity to do that. It's a choice that you make. You just have to choose to build your house on the rock. I'll tell you what, there's a city that's basically made of rock in ancient, the territories of, you know, uh, it's actually by the Dead Sea. We've been there on, if you went on one of our Israel trips that we went to, we went to this place, it's called Rakim. And that's the ancient town uh, there, you know, uh, there in the desert lands of Jordan by the Dead Sea. But it's in Jordan. And it's known as, and properly it's known as Petra. How many have heard of Petra? It's literally carved out of rock. If you haven't seen it, it's fascinating. You go to the city and you go into this place and it's basically a rock city. Of There's a temple there. There's all kinds of homes. You don't just go in and out in three, four minutes. You take a long walk. You check out all these things. You're basically going, and it's not made out of rocks where they got a bunch of rocks and made these houses out of rocks. No, it's made, it is rock. They basically carved this city out of rock. The crazy thing about it is it really emphasizes Jesus' point for me. Because guess what? It wasn't discovered until, you know, it was around in Jesus' day. It wasn't discovered until 1812 by Westerners. But it's interesting that they don't even know how far back this town goes. But guess what? There's been a lot of earthquakes there, flash floods, everything else. But guess what? To this very day, it's standing because it's rock. And if we build our lives on Christ, amen, we build our lives on the rock, we will stand. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. Uh, now, there, the verse 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, you have to act on them. I'm telling you right now, there are prof- millions of professing believers right now in this nation who are hearing the words of Christ but not acting on them. They'll go home and they'll return to getting drunk. They'll return to chasing women or men or whatever they do, uh, doing drugs, partying, doing their own thing, living for themselves, maybe nursing uh, old grudges and uh, living in anger or whatever, just all kinds of different things. Living for themselves, loving pleasures, more lovers of God. Because the Bible warns that there'll be people in the last days who'll be have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And they'll have a form. And that's the way Christianity's going to look. There'll be last days, Paul said, perilous times will come and men will be lovers of self. But he goes on to say that we have a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. 
Don't let that be you. Make sure you're real, man. Make sure you're acting on Christ's words because a lot of times people go to church and they, they'll sing about Jesus and stuff and guess what? They'll forget about him. They won't think about Jesus until next time they sing a song, but their lives will not change. And that's a serious, serious, serious travesty. And guess what? When Jesus is giving this, he's talking again to a very, very religious community. That's why he says many will say, Lord, Lord. That's a prophecy as to what will happen in the church. And right now, before he says that, guess what? He's already dealing with the Pharisees and their hypocrisy and how they did not really apply God's word to their lives and how they were known for being people of the word, but they weren't and how they were doomed. And he's been talking about not being like the Pharisees who, who, who fast to be seen of men. That was their whole point. It wasn't to please God who did things to be seen of men. In fact, the Pharisees were very religious. I mean, they were the religious leaders. They sat in the seat of Moses. He says, what they say to you, do it. Those that were under the law, right? Jesus came to bring them the new covenant. He hadn't yet initiated it. But he said, guess what? He says, don't do what they do, though. They weren't following it. They weren't doers of the word. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 33 of the Pharisees, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You can't put men before God. What are you doing in your own life? You have to put God's word before men. Paul said in the book of Galatians, if I was a servant of men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen? We can't live to please other people. We have to please God. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Ecclesiastes says that one sinner can do much harm. Book of Exodus says don't run with the crowd to do evil. We need to make sure that we march according to our Lord's word and what he says, amen. Now it's interesting, uh, Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites over and over again. He said they're hypocrites. That's the Greek word for hypocrites. And the hypocrites was the Greek word that was the word that was used for actors. The Greeks, the Romans, they had the theater and they'd act and they put a mask in front of their face and the actor would pretend to be a specific God or a specific person. And it wasn't re really who they were. Then they take the mask off and people would know them with the mask on. And he's basically saying, you, you, you Pharisees, you live a double life. Before people, you, you are spiritual religious, but at your homes and when you live your life, you're living a life of wickedness. You're not following the Lord. And so when Jesus is dealing with these guys and then he comes back to his own disciples, he warns them that many will say, Lord, Lord, on the day of judgment, that claim to be his followers, which weren't the Pharisees. That's a warning because Paul said in the last days there'll be a form of godliness. But deny the, deny the power thereof, the dunamis, the miraculous power of God. Denying the, God, the power of God that would, should transform our lives. So we live Christ-like lives and we live for him and we have changed hearts that just love Jesus for who he is and what he's done, amen? And where we cry out to him and really know him. God wants you to know him. He wants you to seek him. His reward are those who diligently seek him, amen? And we need to be serious about this. You know, and these guys were people that read the word, these Pharisees. In John chapter five, verses 34 through like 41, Jesus gives this whole teaching about how they weren't sincere. He says, you search the scriptures diligently. And they did. They would memorize whole portions of the, the law of Moses. I mean, that would impress you. They could quote the scriptures sometimes for an hour straight. 
And he said, you search the scriptures diligently because you believe that in them you have eternal life, but you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. In other words, you know the scriptures, but you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Even though he did all these miracles showing he's the Messiah, even though many of the Jews understood that there was a whole concept of Messiah that, was, was that, that had been believed for long before the Pharisees came on the scene by their forefathers, which was called Messiah ben Joseph. You see, the Jews, prior to Jesus' time, saw these messianic prophecies that were, were the Lord's Messiah, the Mashiach, would suffer. And they saw other prophecies where he would rule and reign. And they didn't know what to do with these prophecies. Like, they didn't understand that this is the same Messiah, but he comes first to suffer, amen, and a second coming, he comes to reign. So they ended up with a theory that there's two Messiahs. Messiah ben David, who would be like David, the conquering king, and Messiah ben Joseph, son of Joseph, who would be like Joseph, who suffered. But guess what? So they understood the concept of a suffering Messiah. But when Jesus came on the scene, they were in no mood to acknowledge that it was related to their sin and that they would have to give up their power in their ways, in their political party, and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't want that. They wanted someone that kicked the booty of the Romans who were ruling over them. And Jesus said, gave a parable, which, and he declared, had them saying in the parable, we will not have this man reign over us. Wow. Guess what? This was serious, serious stuff. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. They're neglecting their, the word of God. Justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. In other words, they were practicing justice and mercy and faith. In fact, Jesus said they devoured widows' houses. They would look for widows and they devoured their houses. That's serious, man. They, mercy, justice, mercy, and faith. And it occurred to me last service when I was preaching in first service, it hit me right as I read that. Wow, that looks like it's right out of Malachi chapter six, verses seven and eight. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do what? Justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God, which is faith, right? Trusting him, putting him first. Amen. And I thought, wow, those... Malachi kind of summed up what it meant to follow the Lord, right? Do justly, do what's right, love mercy, walk humbly before God. And Jesus says, you guys, you know, you, you, you tithe, you're mint, you're coming, you're really good at tithing, and you shouldn't have left that out, but guess what you should have been doing? You've left out the weightier matters of the law. You're not living righteously. They weren't living righteous lives. In fact, Jesus said in the same sermon that we're reading from in Matthew 7, to his own followers, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You know how that must have been so discouraging? Wait a minute. There's an old saying they had in those days that if only two people make it to heaven, it'll be a, one will be a scribe and one will be a Pharisee. Ha! So now they're being told, if you want to, if you, unless your righteousness exceeds those guys, you're not going to make it. What? He's letting them know that they can't make it based on their own righteousness. It's going to have to be a righteousness that comes through faith in the Messiah. Amen. And by the way, when you put 
faith in Jesus, Messiah, guess what happens? God gives you a change of heart, amen? And then what, what happens? You can actually do righteous deeds that glorify God. And the very first righteous deed you do that's in him, even the first one exceeds the righteous of the Pharisees because theirs were like filthy rags. They weren't done for the glory of God through faith in Christ. So he makes us new creations, amen? And if anyone be in Christ, first, or it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone be in Christ, the new creation, behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new, amen? And we have this new identity in Christ. We live for him. Like Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's no longer I that lives, live for the life that I now live. I no longer live, but the life that I now live, he said what? I live for Jesus Christ. Amen. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave him, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Wow. Can you imagine that? That's Paul. You know, I've been crucified with Christ. My old life, who I was. Dead, I've been crucified with Christ. Amen. For it's no longer I that live, he says, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live through faith in the Son of God who, and I love this part, who gave himself up for me. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. You realize he loves you. He gave himself up for you. It reminds me of Revelation 1.5, which, which says, unto Jesus, the last part of verse 5, who loves us. That's in the present tense. If you have the King James, it's in the past tense. But in the Greek, it's in the present tense. Who loves us and released us from our sins. We have an awesome Savior. Look at what he did for us. How could we not want to live for him and know him and be forgiven and and, and, and come to him. So it's interesting because Jesus also said in Luke chapter 20, verse 46 of the Pharisees, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. It's just theater, you know? They, they want a very religious look. So people would say, guys, man, look at that robe. He must be really holy. Jesus actually, in another place, said they would brought it, they'd, they brought in, you know, their, their garments, you know, purposely to look holy. And it's interesting because Jesus said in Matthew 23, 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Wow. I mean, they made a show out of it. And a lot of religion is a show today. There's all kinds of different professing Christian groups where they big long robes and, you know, the guy speaking is super holy because he's got all this holy stuff on, you know, and all this ritual and stuff. And you know what? We all have the same access to the Father. Amen. We're all one in Christ, all of us who truly know Jesus. Amen. And, and he loves you and accepts you as much as he accepts me and any of the elders through, through the blood of Christ. Amen. In fact, uh, guess what? He's not partial, amen? He's an awesome God. But they would like, you know, Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees who, when they give, they do it with a show and they, 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 they blow the trumpets to be heard of men and seen of men. Like, and, and, and you know what? Sometimes Jesus uses hyperbole to get his point across. Like it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel with eye of needle. When he's talking about blowing the trumpets, that wasn't hyperbole. That's a historical fact. They had little silver trumpets. No kidding. You study it. And when they give to somebody or give to the poor or give a big gift, they'd take these trumpets out and blow them. Doo -doo -doo. 
Look at this. Look at me. What in the world is going on there? And none of us would do that. But guess what? You got to be careful not to do it even subtly. God have mercy on us. God help us to make sure we do what's right to glorify him. Jesus said, they did their, Jesus said, don't do good deeds to be seen of men. Now, it doesn't mean you don't want people to see your good deeds. Why? Because he said, let your light so shine that men would see your good deeds and glorify your what? Father in heaven. It's all about the motive. You still want to shine the light of Christ. You want to serve Christ and you want to do things as, a, as part of the kingdom together so people would see what you're doing for Christ only to what? So they'll what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That's the motive. Not so people will think you're holy. Now guess what? It's harder to relate to this in a secular world that we live in because it was a very religious world then. So when you did things that were righteous and holy, it was like, whoa. Today, the Bible says last days they'll be despised of those that are good, right? You don't really get a lot of brownie points in the world for doing things for Jesus, amen? Nevertheless, we ought to do them so people will see who our Heavenly Father is so they'll come to know Jesus and they'll be saved, amen? Now go to James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1 and go to verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. Verse 1. James says, therefore, and I love this passage, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So you're putting away filthiness, all that remains of wickedness. You're repenting. You're turning from sin. And you receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And the word here is the word of Christ. In fact, let's keep reading. But prove yourselves, prove yourselves, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who what? Delude themselves. Or as the King James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not those who delude themselves. In other words, if you have his word, but you're not doing it, you're self-deceived. There's a lot of people like that. You do not want to be among them. We are all going to stand before God on judgment day. Amen? We're all going to be at the Bema seat of Christ. And we want to make sure that we've been true to his word. We're not talking about absolute perfection. But we're talking about where God says, yes, you belong to me. We have a relationship. You've been trusting my son. Amen? Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So that's a sad, and the word hearer there is literally the Greek word which speaks of an auditor, one who would audit a, a, a teaching by a philosopher or some teacher, religious teacher or what have you, but they're not really a disciple. They're auditors. Any of you ever audit classes? You go to university or college, you audit a class, you know, uh, you don't have to pay a lot of money. You don't have to take the test, but you can learn. But you're not really that committed. Well, guess what? There's, that's what a lot of professing Christians are. Millions of professing Christians are auditors. They go to church on Sunday and they audit the sermon, but they don't apply it to their lives. They don't make the test and take the right choice. Amen? They basically fail. No, he's saying not to be like that guy who looks in the mirror and says, man, I'm pretty messed up. Wow, you know, I got a bunch of gunk on my face. Oh, man, then he gets busy. Something else he forgets to change. He forgets to clean his face off or whatever. You want to make sure 
that you look in the mirror of God's word, and the Bible describes the word of God as a mirror. The Bible says we see now through a mirror darkly. Amen? Not completely. But when the Lord returns, the Bible says we'll see face to face. Amen? And we'll know as we're known. And when you look in his word, it convicts you. Amen? You read it. You're like, hey, am I building my life on the rock? Am I living my life in accordance with God's word? And then the wise man says, I need to make sure I'm building my life on the rock. Amen? The foolish guy says, oh, that was an interesting sermon. What are we going to eat? And goes back to his, the vomit. Or goes back to <laughs> wallowing in the mire. Or what have you. And it's interesting because he goes on to say, verse 25, but the one who intently, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now we're talking about the law of liberty is the law of Christ. We're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ. And we don't keep the law of Christ to be saved. We put our trust in Jesus to be saved, amen? But as we're trusting Jesus for our salvation, we abide in his word and we keep the law of liberty and abides by it. I mean, he doesn't just look at the law of liberty. He abides by the law of Christ. Not have you become a forgetful hearer, but a what? What does he become? Amen. An effectual doer. I love that. An effectual doer. This man, now notice what he says. This man will be what? This man will be blessed in what he does. Now it's interesting. This man's blessed in what he does because he's a doer of the word. He's built his life on the rock. Then when the storms come, he's going to stand. And he'll be blessed. Because guess what? The storms are coming. You notice the same storm that came on the guy who built his life on the rock came upon the guy who built his life on the sand. It's described in the same way. And all of us will face trials. Look at James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider all joy. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wow. Say consider all joy when you possibly, by chance, might, in an extreme situation, be one of those people that happens to face a trial? Is that what it says? No. Not if you face a trial, but consider all joy when you, when you encounter various trials. Amen? We're all going to have trials. We all go through them. It's important to understand that. But it's also, he goes on to say later in James, pure and undefiled religion is to be unspotted by the world. Amen? And to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress. Okay? And praise God for what God's Got the fellowship doing in Mexico. We're doing a lot of that there. It's awesome. It's exciting. But in our daily lives, we need to be people that are caring, remain unspotted by the pollutions, the evil of the world, and care for those who are in need. You know, those who are hurting, those that we know that we can help. That really, that's the Lord's heart. He wants us to have a heart for, for people because that's his heart. Amen? And you don't want to just go through life, what can I get out of this? What can I get out of that? No, say, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I be Christ's hands and feet in certain situations? And we see people in need. We see people hurting. And, and it takes a body, amen? It takes the body of Christ. But notice he says you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed if you're an effectual doer. Go back, go to James 1.12 now. James 1.12. I was thinking of a lot of these scriptures that I kind of added to my list on the way I drive over here uh, because I thought, oh, when he says you're blessed is effectual do, I thought, James 1.12, that ties really well with that. Blessed is the man who what? Perseveres under trial. How are you going to persevere under trial? Because your life is built on the rock. That's why he goes on to say to be a doer of the word. So you can be an effectual doer, amen? You see how it fits together? 
Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, dakamas, passed the test, not adakamas, filling the test, once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life. In the Greek, it's literally the crown which is life, which the Lord, what? Has promised to those who, what? Love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, Cursed is everyone who does not trust, who does not love the Lord. Amen. The love of many will grow cold in the last days, Jesus said. Paul said, terrible times would come and men would be without storge, without family love. And we need to make sure that we're rooted and grounded in the words of Christ, which are based on the love of God and who God is. God is love, amen? And then we can look at our hearts and say, am I walking in love, you know? Am I walking in love toward my God? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, Amen. Am I walking in love toward my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're married, am I loving my spouse? Titus says the older women are supposed to teach younger women to love their husbands and love their children. Ephesians 5, Paul says, for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Are we loving our brethren? Peter instructs us in 1 Peter to love our brethren fervently. Are we loving our enemies? Jesus said, what better are you than the pagans? Because even the pagans love their own families. But do you love your enemies? Love your enemies, amen? That's heavy. Pray for them. You say, oh yeah, I do. Oh, really? Have you prayed for Biden yet? <laughs> Harris? It can be tough to do, okay? When you see people butchering babies by the millions and, I mean, I, just, I gotta be honest, you know? It's like when I look at what's happened in Nazi Germany and if the Nazis were out of part, out of, power after killing six million Jews and Nazi Germany was different and they were voted back in power, that would be a hard time. And after 61 million babies been killed, for the most part because of the encouragement of the Democratic Party, that's not a little thing, folks. The Bible talks about the land being polluted and under God's judgment with the, with the shedding of innocent blood it's throughout the scripture. It's, it's one of the, it's the national sin that we have. Slavery has been a national sin, repented of. Now there's sex slavery, sex trafficking, sex trafficking, but there's baby murders massive. This is, this is horrendous in God's sight. And if the Nazis got voted back in power, well, it's not like they're killing 6 million Jews. No, it's worse. 61 million babies. That's our country. Yet we pretend it's not a big deal. It screams, that blood screams. It was hard, you know, my wife and I remember that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with either continuing to see what happens with, the, uh, you know, but if it stays this way, which it very likely will, we'll see, I don't know. I knew my wife, my poor wife, she was like so depressed when she got up and I was up a few hours, a couple hours before and, and I was like, I had already sought the Lord, you know, and said, okay, Lord, I don't know where this is all going ultimately, but we know where it is going ultimately. Keep my eyes on Jesus, not going to watch too much of the news, and just let it spur me on to win more souls. That should be all of our hearts. Thy kingdom come. I told Lisa, thy kingdom come, probably three times that day. Thy kingdom come, you know. Get, keep our focus on Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We know the scriptures say things are going to get worse, amen. It says it, you know. And uh, so it's just interesting. I knew she was having a hard time because she was cooking pancakes for lunch. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's comfort food. Poor Lisa. <laughs> I wouldn't give her a hug, you know. And, uh, but, you know, uh, but praise God, it's, it's clear what we're to do. We're supposed to seek Jesus. And we're supposed to pray for our leaders, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
Even though it's hard, that's how you love people. You do what's hard to do. If they're your enemies and for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake, you still love them. Pray for, I would encourage you to pray for Biden, you know. Pray for Harris. Pray that they would fear God. Pray that they would repent of promoting mass baby murder. Amen. Uh, and using the name of God in vain. I just saw a whole thing that was from the Christian Post, uh, the thing that was written by Biden right before he was elected about how he keeps the two great commandments, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbor is yourself. I'm like, if you love God, you're going to obey his word, you know. If you're going to love your neighbor yourself, you're not going to promote killing them in the womb. Wait a minute, you know. So God wants our faith to be sincere. So pray that they'd really bow before Jesus, amen. And it says to pray for your leaders. Also, it says the context there is so we can preach the gospel peaceably. Who knows what may come against our faith as far as our ability to share the word of God. As far as, you know, uh, trying to equate what the Bible calls sexual perversion with race. A lot of things coming down the pike. So it's interesting. It's gotten really interesting. So keep praying, you know. But also, right after he says to pray for them, he says, for God wills that all would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. Amen? And, was, uh, and he gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus died for everyone. Amen? But when I say pray for them, I'm not saying delude yourselves and think everything's going to be peachy and they're going to all get right with God. Because we know there's a broad road that leads to destruction. Most people go that way. But straight and narrow is the road that leads to life. And few are those who find it. How are those pancakes, baby? Gluten-free. They're pretty good still, though. So we need to make sure we obey the Lord because we all face the same storms. No matter whether you're built on the sand or you're built on the rock. I wanted some, but I'm kind of dieting a little bit. So, Anyway, <laughs> Heart, how many have gone through financial hardships? Doesn't matter whether you're built on the rock or you're built on the sand. COVID has made it harder for a lot of people. Emotional hardships. Times of deep trial, sometimes tears or depression. Betrayals. Anybody ever been betrayed? Get a knife in your back from someone you thought cared about you? Uh, death in families, sicknesses. You can be a believer or non-believer and get COVID-19, right? It's just part of life. We, are, we all are going to encounter various trials. It's going to happen. The Bible says in the book of Job that, that man is born into trials just as the sparks fly upward. You drag a piece of metal, sparks fly upward. And it's inevitable. It's inevitable that we're going to have trials. The question is, do you want to face those trials and have a house that's built in the sand that's just going to get wiped out? Or do you want to be built on the rock so when the trials come, you're going to stand? And I understand this is a trial for a lot of people right now. But guess what, man? The more Jesus is your focus, the more you understand the times and what he said is coming, and the more you focus on him and doing his work, that's where your joy is, amen? If your trust is in the political systems, you're going to be depressed. I'm not saying you shouldn't be bummed out, you know? The Bible, said, what, the Bible says, when the wicked rule, the righteous mourn, okay? So there's a degree of mourning we have, Right? But there's an inward joy we have because we have the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he, his kingdom will take over ultimately. Amen. When Christ comes back, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of Christ. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Now, I want to encourage you because storms come in various ways. Sometimes they come because God allows them in our lives. Any storm that comes into your life is something... God ultimately permits. But sometimes they come at the direct hand of Satan. Think of what happened. God allowed Job to be tested, but Satan brought all these horrific things to try to destroy him. Paul said, 
Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand in the evil day. We all will face an evil day here and there in our lives. There'll be the ultimate evil day, the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period, there'll be another storm. Not just the tribulation itself, but the storm of God's wrath when his judgment comes. Who will be able to stand? Go to Revelation chapter 6 and pick up the, the sixth seal, which is a picture of the very end when the Antichrist hordes are running to the mountains, begging the rocks to crush them and hide them from the fierce wrath for the day of his wrath has come. It's a picture, it's a snapshot of the end. And look what we read in chapter 6, verse 12. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, the asteros. These doesn't have to mean literal stars, asteros, where we get asteroids from, but it doesn't have to mean asteroids either. As a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Wow. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain, every mountain, see the mountains around us? Every one of those. And, every, and island was removed from its place. Wow. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and, uh, and, and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able what? To stand. They know exactly what's going on. They're not, they're not Darwinists at this point. They've had three different angels announce things like don't take the mark of the beast, the fall of Babylon, preaching the everlasting gospel. They've had the two witnesses prophesying for three and a half years. They know who God is. Says the, says the beast blasphemes the God of heaven and the saints. They know what's up at this point. There's no hiding behind Darwinism. Oh, it's just all an accident. Now they know it's not even just global warming. That's just basic, you know, the earth heating up. It's like, wait a minute, man. The judgment of God, but they still refuse to repent. And notice the very last words in verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to what? They're asking who's able to stand. They're not. They want to be crushed by rocks. They'd rather face being crushed by rocks in the wrath of God. And they should be. They finally wise up, but they really wise up. They would repent and say, God, have mercy on us. But I believe this happens right after the rapture, at the second coming of Christ, at the end of the tribulation. Boom. He pours out his wrath. And... But we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We don't suffer this wrath. This is a second coming wrath. And when Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, when he said that uh, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up together to meet them in the air, amen. And he says, for a while they're saying peace and safety, which is they're going to be saying that during the tribulation period, sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But we're not appointed to that wrath. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll descend back with Jesus to the Mount of Olives. And these guys will not be able to stand. But who will be able to stand? Go to Revelation chapter 7, the very next chapter. Revelation chapter 7. I love this, man. It's one of my favorite passages. Because we do see the questions answered of who will be able to stand. Well, we know who will be able to stand. Those who are building their lives on what? Those who are obeying Jesus' words. Amen. Verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes, praise the Lord, peoples and languages. Man, I love it. I can't wait, man. When we're in the kingdom of God with all believers from every different nation, 
red, brown, yellow, black, and white praising Jesus together. Can you imagine? Check it out. After these things, I looked to behold a great multitude which no one could know, uh, count for every nation, all the tribes, peoples, and languages. What's the very next word? Standing. Who's able to stand? These guys. They're, they're standing from all over. So, uh, such a great company of people who can't even count them. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. That's the cherubim. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders responded, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes. That's that great multitude that no one can number from every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue. These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Who are those who are able to stand? Those who are clothed in white robes who've come out of the tribulation period. Many people will be killed during the tribulation period. But Jesus said, don't fear man who could kill your body, but just fear God who could destroy your body and soul in hell. Amen. These were ones who were faithful to the word of Christ. When you read in Revelation chapter 13, and it warns that, about the beast overcoming the saints in verses 5 through 7, and it goes on to say, those who are to go into captivity will go into captivity, and those who are to be killed with the sword will be killed with the sword. Then it calls for patience on the part of those, the saints, it says, who remain faithful to Jesus and, and keep his commandments. It says a very similar thing in chapter 14 when it warns of what will happen to those who take the mark of the beast. And then it calls for endurance on the part of the saints. Those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ keep their faith in Jesus and obey his commands. One of the passages talks about obeying his commands, but they both talk about keeping your faith in Jesus. And guess what? Here these guys are. But why do they stand? Do they stand because they've been perfect at keeping the Lord's commands? No, they've built their lives on the rock, that's for sure. But ultimately they stand, why? These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and what? Made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Have you been washed? Have you been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb? Many will say, Lord, Lord, but they'll do their own things. They'll be workers of lawlessness and not do the will of the Father. You and I, we must make sure we come to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness and mercy and cleansing. Amen? Because that's the only way we can stand. Because he offered us a new covenant. Amen? And the Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last verse I want you to look at with me is Revelation chapter 22. And it talks about those in verse 15 who are outside God's kingdom, outside of the dogs. And those are, that's the male prostitutes, those who are sexually immoral and sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. What a contrast it is from verse 14. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who what? 
wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates, by the gates into the city. Brothers and sisters, I want to make sure we stand, amen? Do you know Jesus? You can only know the Father through Jesus in his shed blood. You can only have a right standing with God if you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, amen? And you must continue to be an effectual doer of the word, amen? Abide in the perfect law of liberty. Abide in the law of Christ, amen? I love, this is one of my favorite songs. And Tony's going to do this song pretty soon. Hint, hint, right, Tony? I hardly ever request a song, bro. On Christ the solid rock I stand. I love this. Listen to the words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Amen. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, a solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, a solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Immovable, invincible is our Lord God. Unbreakable, unshakable Jesus when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, a solid rock I stand, all the ground is sinking sand, all the ground is sinking sand. Remember that impregnable rock city known as Petra? I'm, there's nothing like it in the entire world. It's just a blow mine. It's like seeing all these... It's like your next door neighbor lived in a rock, all these rock houses. But you know what? Petra. Jesus used that word Petra. He used it when he was talking to Peter. And he took them to near the gates of Hades. Not literally. But he took them into Philippi. And when he was there, they had what was known as, you know, there were different areas that were known to be portals into Hades, and this was one of them, where they worshiped the god Pan, god of thresholds and so forth, and it was outcropping in the area. They could see it from where Jesus would be preaching because you could see it pretty much anywhere in that part, in that uh, particular uh, part of the world. And Jesus said, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was a picture of the gates of Hades. But it's interesting, he took them way out of a Jewish area into a very pagan area because he was preparing them not long after this they would be going and ministering in these areas to get ready for mission work to serve him so he was training them but it's interesting he said to Peter who do men well he said who do you say that I am and Jesus said thou art the Christ the son of the living God and then Jesus said to him thou art Peter Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the Roman Catholic says, oh look, Peter's the rock there. The church is built on Peter, the first pope. <laughs> Peter wasn't a pope, you know. If you look at the Greek language, it literally says, thou art Petros. Petros means what? Do you guys remember Petros? Small rock pebble. Cephas, he gave him that. He gave me a little rock, a chip off of Jesus, so to speak. 
Thou art Petros, little rock. Upon this Petra, I will build my church. The gates will not prevail against it. What's the Petra? The word of Christ. What Peter just said. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are little stone, but upon this rock, the fact that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because those words came from the Father, really. Because Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. You are little stone, but upon this huge rock, the fact that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, you build your life on Jesus. Amen. You live according to his teachings and no storm and even the gates of hell cannot knock you off. Amen? You just keep holding fast to Jesus. Amen? Just hold fast. Continue to build your life on him. Your life is a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's getting colder out now and we can see our little vapor and we see every time you do that, think, that's my life. Compared to eternity, that is. Did you know that you're a vapor? Think about it. How long does the vapor last? a cold night. Just a couple seconds, right? Do you know a vapor is far longer than your lifespan? When you compare a vapor to how long you live? When you compare your lifetime, when you compare a vapor to how long you live, a vapor is very short. When you compare your lifetime compared to eternity, your lifetime is far shorter than a vapor is in your lifetime. I just thought about that just as I'm preaching for the first time. Think about it. A vapor, how long that lasts in your lifetime is very short compared to your lifetime. But your lifetime compared to eternity is shorter by way of comparison to the vapor in your lifetime. Are you with me? Because eternity is forever. And that your, li- your, that, that your lifetime becomes shorter and shorter as long as you continue in that eternity until it's, it's so infinitesimal, it's not even like a vapor. Brothers and sisters, your life is short. My life is short. Make sure you are right with God. Amen? Make sure you are living for Jesus. And no matter what trial you're in right now, say, you know what? This trial shows whether or not I've really been building my life on the rock or not. Amen? It reveals whether you're on the sand or the rock. The good news is, is before we die, we can erase our answers, amen? The Lord gives us whiteout or a good eraser, amen? If you haven't died yet, you can say, wait, man, my faith is shaken. Have I, have I really been following Jesus? And then you just need to say, I'm going to live, right now I'm going to decide to live for Jesus and build my life on the rock, amen? Isn't that cool that God gives us that second chance? Did he give Jonah a second chance? More than a second chance, 70 times seven, Jesus said to Peter, right? He didn't call Jesus to be more merciful and faithful than he is. I don't care what's happened in the last chapters of your life. Live for Jesus now, amen? Build your life on the rock and put your faith in Christ. Can we all please stand as we pass out the cup and the bread?